The subject of the question is cooking the books, which is a new program on what seasonings to use in your accounting. Seasonally adjustment means something different when you're cooking the books. Don't no, that's this I'm making more bad puns. So Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The the Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and did, Jeff. Oh, Mac Mac Lure. Lure. Well, this, this is how we, we demonstrate. I'm lagging. I have extreme lag right now uh, are in you my brain. In your brain? And yes. my brain. Uh, I have I, latency. My brain is very latent at the I moment. I called the cable company to get my brain bandwidth extended. They were willing to charge me for it, but I don't see any benefit yet. Right. Um, but I am now seeing it on my bill. <clears throat> so you might want to get charged for it. It won't help a bit, but you may feel like something is happening. Yes, that's what's important. <clears throat> so well, this is take, go ahead. take a placebo and call, it, call me in the morning. Yes. Uh, uh, yes. So... That, that is a necessary step. We, we are the Federal Reserve. All right. Uh, it, nonsense aside. Wait, we never put nonsense aside. This no, is the personal wealth coach. Um, absolutely. It, we have to give you some disclosures before we get started because we're regulated. Yeah. Voluntarily. <laughs> we, we did this to ourselves. We can't just talk on the radio. No, we've got to have 10, 20, 30 minutes of disclosures in advance. Um, so sit back, relax, get your popcorn ready. The disclosures are about to begin. We are bald, both of us. Neither one of us has hair on the very tops of our heads. First disclosure down. We are both bearded. If either of these two things causes you to be triggered, please uh, change the channel to a safe place. Thank you. <clears throat> Uh, next disclosure, this is the personal wealth coach. That's not just the name of the program. It's also the name of an SEC registered investment advisory firm. That's not coincidental. Though the program predates the firm at the SEC registration level by quite a long time, uh, it's the same people. And that's what I mean about voluntarily regulating. On our day-to-day business, when we're not talking on the radio, we give fiduciary investment advice. That means we've got to know the people. We've got to be giving advice that's in their best interest. And then we have to disclose how we get paid and where and how much in a way that they understand. That's kind of weird, but that's what we volunteered to do. At the same time, because we're considered or at least considering ourselves experts on subjects, we have to uh, follow the prudent expert rule. And that is to say, if we don't know what we're talking about, we're supposed to tell you we don't know what we're talking about. Yes. But we don't do that on the radio. Unless we don't know that we don't know what what we're talking about. Correct. Uh, And then we won't know even that we don't know. And so we won't know to tell you. Exactly. Um, So... We can't do that on the radio because we don't know all of you. Maybe. Maybe we do. Maybe there's none of you. Maybe we know all of us because we're the only two people. Wait, I'm not even listening. What was I saying again? Let's yes. go forward with the disclosures. Pri- privacy issues. We don't know the people out there. So we can't give advice on the air. So what are we doing? Jabbering into these foam balls on the microphone. Um, we're giving education. 
hopefully that will allow you to arm yourself with tools to give yourself some advice sometime today or down the road. Um, what else? Let's see here. Just because we're registered with the SEC doesn't mean that the SEC somehow thinks that we're cool. The SEC doesn't do that. There is no think they are cool department of the SEC. There's a lot of departments about find out what's wrong with fill in the blank at the SEC. So I, they require us to tell you that we're not somehow selected and, and anointed by them because they don't they don't go into anointing at all. They don't. That's not part of their policies. Um, let's see. Um, oh, you, it's your turn. Yes, the information that we present on this educational radio program or internet program, depending on where you're accessing it, has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. Uh, we've just thoroughly said that we um, do not uh, guarantee uh, even the things that are coming out of our mouths. Right. So that's said amazing. information. Except, said. yes, unsaid information we guarantee is incomplete, unless it's written. Right. And then it's not said. But don't speak it out loud or any part. You're okay. And the last thing, the very last disclosure before we actually begin the program, which is no more interesting than the, the, than the disclosures, I guarantee. Wait, I'm not supposed to guarantee what we're saying. Sorry about that. Um, cancel that warranty immediately. Um, is we don't pay for this radio program. That's maybe not too surprising. But we're also not paid to do the radio program. And that's really not surprising. Anybody that's listened to us for very long is like, people would pay to listen to these guys? What? Yes, uh, we are worth exactly what you're paying for right now uh, because this is America and we are free. And now, as is tradition, we will turn to Inquisitor John, who has faithfully been questioning everything that we do. Um, uh, for, for many years, uh, he has emailed us with a question. Um, the subject of the question is cooking the books, which is a new program on what seasonings to use in your accounting. Mm -hmm. Seasonally adjustment means something different when you're cooking the books. Don't know that I'm making more bad puns. So, uh, his question is private and publicly traded companies have standards or other agencies that govern their accounting the SEC, generally accepted accounting practices, etc., and reporting. Who or what oversight does the federal government answer to in terms of their reporting? Good question, because it's kind of important. Uh, and I'm going to approach this from two directions, because there's another institution uh, that is federally co-mingled, the Federal Reserve. It's, it is not a government institution but it's not really a private institution either it's a quasi governmental private private thing uh it's a, a sro a self regulatory organization that has stuff at the top of it that makes it not the s part so the government the president appoints the head of the federal reserve open market committee they he appoints the uh, next layer down from them in authority as well. And then the rest of that board is made up of uh, presidents of banks. They become governors of the Federal Reserve banks and get up on the board. Okay, so who audits them? Well, number one, they do, but that's not enough because if you have a company being audited by themselves, what are they going to do? Um, so then they're audited by third-party accounting companies on the private end. 
all the banks and the balance sheet that gets audited regularly on a surprise basis. That's weird to think about a surprise audit of the Federal Reserve, but it's happening and that data is available to the public. Okay. So Congress keeps making But that's noise. that's the Federal Reserve. That's the that's Federal Reserve. The, the big question he has is not about the Federal Reserve, it's about the government. I needed to throw the mm-hmm. Federal Reserve in there because we get those questions regularly. I wanted to combine the question. Okay. So who does the federal government answer to in terms of reporting? Uh, A quick answer, three tiers. It looks like you're ready to answer to the government accounting Mm -hmm. office. Right. And then they are audited by their own inspector general, which is a separate area of the government accounting office that doesn't commingle at all. It's actually named the government accountability office. Government accountability office. Yes. Yes, And it's an independent agency. Uh, It. Uh, basically has its own budget. It has everything. It is not subject to Congress telling it what to do or the president telling it what to do. So it can be dissolved by the president or by Congress. They're the ones that set it up to be independent. Uh, but that's, that is the, that is the extent right now it goes out. It, it looks over the reports made by the labor department. It looks over the reports made by Congress. Um, uh, when Congress is saying, Hey, this is going to be, this much money, they look at it and they've got, it's a bureaucratic organization. And then the third layer of that, the the people who at times are auditing Congress get audited by Congress as well. Um, Congress is not well known for fair audits. They tend to already suspect or want something to be wrong with a company or a institution when they audit it. Um, But it leaves the people in the place that might get audited by Congress and in a very, very paranoid position. So they want to make sure that they're as right as possible. And the last part of this, because it's an independent organization, it's not part of the rest of the government. It is the government. It's just separate from it. It's not politically influenced by the most recent waves of elections. It doesn't mean that it's not politically influenced because it's the government. And the government is, by its definition, political. (laughs) One of the key things to understand, at least from my perspective, and I was once subjected to a small audit by the Government Accountability Office. um, When you were in the government? When I was in the government. I was in the Army. It is run by the Comptroller General. And the Comptroller General has kind of a reverse way of doing things. Congress gives the president a list of people who can be comptroller general. It's bipartisan, has to be. Both Each party gets an equal number of people on the list. The president chooses one, and he has a 15-year term, and he can't be removed except by impeachment, the same level of impeachment it takes to remove the president. Or, or a judge. He's been around since 1921 and uh, works exceptionally well. They set the standards for accounting. It's called the yellow book for the all the governmental agencies. There's standards that they have to like generally accepted accounting principles are used in private accounting. They have a generally accepted government agency accounting principles. And they then go out and routinely, randomly audit various areas in the government to see if they're following the standards. And and everybody is little, very happy when they get audited, correct? This is a true statement, right? No, I'm sorry. Now, although I, t- I totally found got it to that be, on the wrong end of the of the curve. When I was the subject of a visit by a very, very high-ranking 
government accountability office. It's just official. easier to say GAO. Oh, well, the GAO came. Uh, let's put it like this. Uh, he was the equivalent of a, I think, a two star general, except he was a civil servant. And he, he was came a in, comptro- comptroller general. Yeah, well, he was the equivalent. He was his. They his, don't use uh, stars his on, the, government, on the brain. Right, it's his, pennies. His pay grade was the equivalent of a major general in the army. And he came and audited our, the troop I was in because I had basically reacted. And I had raised, been shaking the tree and saying there's some really stupid things going on here as far as accounting are concerned. And somehow it filtered up. And so he came to visit. I'm sure your and commanding officer was appreciative of that. He gave, if he was, he kept his mouth shut. About it. He, didn't, <laughs> he, he stayed away from the whole thing. He didn't even want to be seen by the guy. So, yeah, and, and it, it was very pleasant from my perspective, and it resulted in some changes in the way we did business accountability in the Army. Anyway. Yeah, so they, that's, that's really a, the, the a, answer. It is the most feared, probably, government agency by other government agencies. And uh, they have done, I think, an exceptionally good job over the years. I know there's a lot of complaints about $1,000 to $40,000 toilet seats and things like that. Uh, those are the exception. Uh, the, the Government Accountability Office does what I think is an excellent, or at least continues to do, what I think is excellent work very quietly in the background. They don't raise a fuss. They simply go take a look and they issue reports to the president and the Congress uh, after they take a look and recommend changes that need to be made. And it works pretty well. It's actually a a very tight system, um, very reliable. Uh, And I thought thought the question was, by the way, going to go into something else entirely. Well, well, Philip has just emailed in to say that he likes us a lot. Thank you, Philip. Thank you, Philip. He has also wished us a nice memorial, by which I hope he means Memorial Day. Mm-hmm. I'm, that is well, my sincere hope uh, that, that he means Memorial Day. Yes, I hope I have a nice memorial, too, eventually. Uh, at some I, point, yes. Yes. Uh, thank you, Philip, uh, for, for both meanings. I actually thought when I first started reading John's question, he was going to ask about the SEC's move where it is now applying the same standards to privately managed investments uh, that offer uh, their wares to what are called sophisticated investors. So they're not in the normal uh, SEC regulation uh, area. They have been excluded from it for a long time. And the SEC has moved to start examining them and to hold them to a specific, the same standard as other investment advisors. And they have sued the SEC saying, no, 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 we need, we, you're overreaching. You, we have nothing to do with you. Uh, we don't need to be regulated. Uh, the fact that we give one price to one client and another price to another client is perfectly legitimate if we like it or don't like it. And however much profit we make and however much we twist things around is perfectly all right because these are sophisticated investors and they should know better after we rip them off. So, oh, oh, so I'm sorry. Not after we rip them off. We don't rip them off. No, never. We would never do such a thing. And a lot of times the word sophisticated investor or accredited investor is used. Mm-hmm. It's kind right. of a joke. Back when I was first studying um, securities in general, uh, back in the early 90s, when I was really digging into stuff and saying, this is what needs to happen. I was studying for licenses and, and really reading about the history of it. Um, An accredited investor was someone who had a net worth, excluding their primary residence, of over a million dollars. So 30 years later, do you know what the accredited definition is for today? It is a person 
who has a net worth, excluding their primary residence, of over a million dollars. Wait, it's the same? (laughs) Yes, it's the same. So it used to mean that you had somehow acquired a great deal of wealth over your life. And a lot of people listening would say a million dollars is still a great deal of wealth. It is. Just back in the early 90s, it was a much greater deal of worth (laughs) of wealth than it is today. We haven't adjusted that for inflation. It is easily conceivable for someone with a 401k that has done good work their whole life, but not been at all sophisticated in their knowledge of the investment world and have significantly more than a million dollars. So the original criteria was there to say, these people know what they're getting into. They can afford to hire an attorney to read the contracts. They can afford to hire a fiduciary investment advisor to tell them the ins and outs of that, and possibly an accounting firm to double-check the audits that are self-done at these private investment firms. Today, it does not mean that. It means you cannot afford to hire an attorney or an investment advisor just to give you a one-time multi-thousand dollar fee to tell you whether it's a good investment or not, or to hire an an attorney multi-thousand dollar fee to read through the contract or an accounting firm to make sure that what you're buying is actually what you're buying. So the SEC is saying, we're going to put some more scrutiny on this rather than just saying, oh, an accredited investor should be somebody with $10 million or $15 million now. I happen to agree with the SEC. I agree completely with the SEC's move, and I think they're within the limits of the law, but they're certainly getting sued to not be able to do that. And one of the reasons this is coming up at this point is we are still reacting to a lot that happened in 2007, 2008, and since, and the recent bank failures on the West Coast, as an example. The salespeople from sophisticated uh, investment firms who are selling their investments go and make presentations to banks and to insurance companies and other places that are supposedly in sophisticated investors, institutional investors. But the issue is the people they're making the presentation to really aren't all that sophisticated. And the 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 standards that these privately managed funds have are very low. Uh, they basically can say all kinds of things that a registered investment advisor who's working with the public can't say uh, about performance and about projected performance and a lot of things. They they basically, it's, it's still the Wild West. And it it poses a danger to the economy. It, 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 it is something that needs to be regulated. They need to be audited like anybody else. And if their claims are false, that needs they need to be fined for that. And the mere fact that the hedge funds and the other privately managed investment account firms are resisting so hard being examined by the SEC is probably an indication that there's something there that they really would not like the SEC to see or the public. And that's been my experience as well. I've gone through several waves in my goodness, 40 some years of being in this business. I've gone through several waves of uh, offerings that are made to supposedly accredited, sophisticated investors that are basically just junk, fraud. (laughs) They're, they're bad. The advertising is false. The, the it's, they're trying to sell something that probably will lose you most or all of your money and tell you you'll make a fortune when you invest in it. And it still goes on. Uh, it, 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 
there are areas where you are offered, where, where, where you are promised great returns as a member of the public even. And uh, the people make very wild statements about it because it's not regulated by the SEC. For example, the purchase of gold is not regulated by the SEC. Right. Uh, and as a result, it's or much of anybody else. It's not a security. And as a result, the, uh, the people who sell gold can make some wildly inaccurate statements and get away with it. Yeah, and the same is true in any commodity. By the way, that's just people say have said this for years, and it's it's kind of a silly joke when I hear them say it's cheaper than dirt or it's cheap as dirt. If you've tried to buy dirt lately, you realize that that's not a good statement anymore. Dirt's kind of valuable. It's hard to find the stuff that's good dirt. It costs money. Well, if you go out to buy some dirt, they can tell you a lot about that dirt. They can tell you anything they want to tell you about that dirt. Because it's dirt. It's a commodity. There's nobody out there who's in charge of regulating the sale of dirt. Um, gold in small, smaller quantities is also in that kind of range. When you get into a commodities market, like the futures boards, at Chicago, that sort of thing, then there's more regulation on the buying and sell- selling and what you can say about it. But you can still say wildly hyperbolic things about your expectations for gold. Uh, There's a great movie from, I guess, the late 80s, still worth seeing. It's Dan Aykroyd, Eddie Murphy, Trading Places. It's a, most of you listening to this program know what I'm talking about already. If you're young and never saw the movie, it's worth it. It's two Saturday Night Live guys. They're on Wall Street, it's on Wall Street, but it's supposed to be Chicago. They're working on futures transactions and so on. Maybe it is Chicago. Anyway, Eddie Murphy is a homeless person. Dan Aykroyd is an Ivy League educated trader, commodities trader. And their bosses are like the old Muppets, uh, the two old Muppets that are constantly talking to each other, only they're people. Um, And they make a bet that they can switch the two and have the same um, results. They, They can switch the homeless guy with Ivy League guy in trading commodities and they would get the same level of success. So they do it. They make the one guy homeless and the other guy they make successful. And the bet was over a dollar. Uh, then there's revenge and accountability and all the rest. But what's important here is they had a secret government report before it was being released to the public about the weather in Florida, which would affect the orange juice concentrate market. You can talk about the orange juice concentrate market or even the chicken market, and you can say wildly inaccurate things about it, even when you're a professional chicken trader. But as soon as you enter into the realm where you're not buying an actual thing, a chicken or some amount of gold or some amount of dirt, um, then you get into something that is a derivative of it. If two people own the same chicken and they haven't split the chicken, what happens when you sell the chicken? Well, now you have a concept because the chicken's not split until you cut it in half. So how do you own half of it? It's like the statistics that say there's uh, 1.8 Americans per per woman born, or it's actually closer to 1.9. Um, where's the 0.9 baby? Uh, well, you, it's a concept. It's a it's an average. It's and that means that it's really hard to make a border if two people own the same lot of real estate, but they haven't split it. There's not a 
a fence in the middle of it. It means all parts of it are equally owned. It's called equal and undivided, and that's a concept. That's not real. That's not something we see in the world around us. So when we get to a level of governing and regulating ownership of things you can't see, then somebody needs to be able to step in and say, no, that's a lie. We're already imagining ownership. Don't lie about it, too. It gets too confusing. And so that's why we have the SEC. Uh, the, The whole concept of what dogs do or rhinoceroses do with their excrement to mark their territory. We do it with lines in a computer at a county office. There may be paper somewhere as well. So you can't actually go out and smell the property and find the edge of your boundary, which is, a, according to the dogs, it's not as effective. But we're now saying, all right, we all agree ownership exists and it's in the electronic format at the county seat, which probably isn't actually housed there. It's probably on the cloud somewhere, but we all agree it's there and that the line exists and that we've all agreed that's the edge of our property. But what if two people own the property together? Where's that agreement? Well, that's going to be a more private agreement. It might be written down somewhere. Well, what if it's a really weird agreement like somebody had a gun pointed at them when they made it? We've got to be able to regulate that differently than somebody just taking you your chicken with a gun because there's a different level of permanency to ownership of something that's not just a thing. It's weird. This is, this is one of those behavioral things that we don't think about very much, but try to explain it to a child. Three-year-olds don't share well. Everything they see belongs to them. There are cultures on this planet that believe that as well, and they're good cultures. They're, they're a different method of looking at ownership. To the Maasai, every cow, every bovine that exists um, is existing for the use of the Maasai. They own all cattle. That is their belief. That if they see a cow, it belongs to them. If there's not another Maasai standing next to it with a stick. So what is ownership in that situation? The same was held in old Scotland when they would regularly raid each other to take cows from each other uh, and later sheep from each other. The same happened in all across the Americas when horses showed up and the natives here were stealing them from each other. The concept of ownership takes a while to sink into a culture. And once it's sunk in, it has all kinds of archaic and almost spiritual implications to the filing of titles in the uh, title offices, making sure you have a clear title with some you know, deep rituals of digging through papers and signing papers three times instead of one time. This is how we as humans regulate ownership. And when it comes to something that you can buy or sell with a click and that people can tell you anything they want about it, well, it's kind of important if we want to have a free market to make sure that the market isn't actively trying to steal money from people. I know that's a hard thing to want for because at the end, if you somebody wants to give you eighty thousand dollars for your uh, nineteen ninety four Toyota Corel, um, you're probably going to say, "Sure, give me the money." You're the market too. You didn't lie to them and say it was a Lamborghini. Uh, lying to them and saying it's a Lamborghini. There's a law in Texas that says you can't do that. Isn't that amazing? You're not a lie allowed to lie to people to sell a car, but you are allowed to lie to people to sell a horse. Horse trading has a different meaning there. So this is just me. I think I'm 
going over the top and talking about why there's some need for regulation when it comes to the to the ownership of concepts. You can also overregulate it. If you make it too hard for three people to own a business at the same time, then they don't own the business and they don't do the business. In Europe, it is ex- exceedingly hard to start a business because the property rights are so convoluted that it's really hard to trust each other enough to start a business because it it's so easy regulatorily make things bad. Um, in the United States, it's very easy to start a business, a partnership. You can do it verbally. That leads to kind of a Wild West thing. And, and believe me, Elder Baldy and I have both seen our fair share of partnerships that have dissolved horribly because one side or the other committed fraud or uh, stole from the other person. Uh, but we've seen the same thing in marriage. And marriage, at least in Texas, is a community property situation. So it's a financial partnership as well. And we see the same thing there. We don't want to prevent marriage so that people don't steal from each other. We don't want to overregulate it. We don't want to prevent, prevent partnerships from being created. But at the same time, when there's blatant ignorance and blatant advantage taken on that ignorance to take money from people, that's the definition of what we don't want to have because we want to make it easy for people to invest in real businesses. And we want them to expect that what they're being told is the truth. And what we both bald people here have been saying for many years about a lot of private equity deals is to just assume that they're lies because there's very little in the way of regulation unless you can afford the team of people to go in and do the research and the due diligence to make sure that what they're saying is correct. And that was a really long-winded answer to a question that didn't even come, but was, (laughs) I think, worthwhile um, to a question that you thought might come. Um, We are, uh, I'm looking around at, I've got a whole bunch of other stuff about what's happening in China. I've got stuff about inflation and in Europe, in the US, in the UK, but I have been talking a lot during the last hour and you have not. So I'm going to hand it back to you. Well, the big news from my perspective is coming in in little bits and pieces. And what's happening in the United States right now, it appears that the labor market is returning to normal. It's not there yet. We created last month 187,000 new jobs in the United States and filled them, which is still a little higher than perfect, but still, but, but, but quite good. The, and, but at the same uh, time, the unemployment rate went up 3.5 yeah, empl- to 3.8. Wow. But it went up because, and this is one of the things that's helping, about 170-some thousand new labor market participants joined and went looking for work. Now, where'd they I come from? Have no clue where they came from. Maybe they're retired people and they've seen inflation and they decided to go back to work. I've seen a lot of that, by the well, way. Well, when a daddy loves a mama very much. No, that's a different way from where children come from. Sorry, this is the labor, different labor, different labor. Sorry about that. Go, go, go ahead. I have anecdotally seen uh, or heard of and seen a, a significant number of people who retired and now I'm going back to work. And I think that may be uh, part of what's going on. And generally, generally, in my very anecdotal uh, observations, they're not going back to work because they need extra money, although that doesn't 
they might want the extra money. I'm sure they do. It's because they basically got bored being retired. And so they've gone back to work. But there's when we have about 172,000 people join the labor force, when we only hired another 187,000 in a month, that generally will push things up a little bit. So it's going to 3.8%. But the issue is layoffs are just not happening. I mean, there's a very small number of people who are losing their jobs, being laid off and so on, as far as the whole economy is concerned. Manufacturers have seen a slowdown in orders as they work through the backlogs, but they're not laying people off, which indicates that they see evidence that there will be more people needed in the future to work. So the economy, and, and one of the, there's a really interesting thing. The GDP of the United States since the bottom in the pandemic, now hang on to your seats, has grown 40%. It's pretty amazing. That nominally. Now, there are only a very few times, matter of fact, only once, I think 1788 or sometime like that, when it grew, estimated to have grown that much in that short period of time. The third quarter gross domestic product estimate is posted by several reliable organizations, the Atlanta Federal Reserve Bank, Moody's, and some other folks. And they're, they're between 4.9, is the lowest one that's being estimated right now. And I think 5.9 is the highest. Either one, a GDP annualized growth in a quarter of between roughly 4 and 6% someplace is astonishing. Now, we have to announce here also that the uh, Bureau of Economic Analysis lowered the second quarter GDP growth annualized again to 2.1%. But that's still really charging down the road. And while at the same time, we see inflation coming down, as a matter of fact, if you take three-month inflation rate, the personal consumption expenditures index, the one the Federal Reserve looks like, looks at annualized for the three-month average right now is 2.1, which is just barely above the Fed's target. So what we have in the United States today is one of the fastest growing economies in the history of the country and inflation coming down to 2%, uh, while the export-driven countries that we so have been politically at least so admired, Germany and China, are seeing massive slowdowns. This is really one for the history books. It's one that will be studied for a long time by a lot of people. But what's happening in the United States is almost too good to be true. It is so good. Inflation is coming down. Unemployment is near record low. Uh, the, uh, the GDP of the United States is growing. And by the way, we are seeing some very substantial rise in productivity in the United States. I haven't really got a handle on that. I don't know exactly what's happening, but it is happening. And I, I have that I, to talk about I next just, hour. It's some good stuff. Yeah, I, And we can go into each of these items in, in a great deal of detail, but folks, it just don't get much better than this. Right before we wrap up for the end of the hour, Philip sent a question in about the Government Accountability Office. He said, where are they now? Um, there's a lot of areas they could be auditing right now, like Ukraine money for starters. Uh, by that, I assume he's talking about the money we're sending to Ukraine, but on their webpage, DOD and state should, so this is the Government Accountability Office, GAO.gov. On the webpage, as soon as you get there, one of the top ones up there is DOD and state should strengthen planning for train and equip projects. That's exactly what that's talking about. They're giving recommendations to both DOD and state on how to account for the money as it transfers from the Department of Defense to the Department of State and then on to another country before moving on to Ukraine. The transfer of weapons has some crazy international treaties associated with it, but the GAO 
is hopefully doing with these recommendations that are right there its job in advance. And we're about out of time. You want to? I did actually see that the GAO has sent people to Ukraine and Poland and a lot of other places yeah. to track this stuff. So yeah. they are already on top of it. And that's what they're supposed to do. And we're about out of time for this hour. If you want to talk to us off the air, you can email us directly at Jeff and or Jake at tpwc.com. That's thepersonalwealthcoach.com. Locally, 947-1111. You can reach us toll-free at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com. Contact us there. Find their newsletter, all of that good stuff. Uh, And we'll be back next hour with more of The Personal Wealth Coach.